We review Scotty James's half-pipe heroics on today's Splash and look ahead to changes to the Jeff Horn and Terence Crawford fight. It is Wednesday, Feb 14. This is the Splash. It's time for your daily dose of Sporting Agenda, your audio edition of the Fox Sports homepage. The Splash with your host, Phil Pryor. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone out there. Happy Valentine's Day, Tony Harper. I think you got me there, handsome <laughs> Phil. Happy Valentine's Day to you as well. Thank you very much. Uh, Tony is in to talk about Scotty James's uh, effort in the half-pipe final over at Pyeongchang. Yeah, uh, let's send it. The Winter Olympics. Sorry, Phil. Yeah, uh, yeah. let's send it. No, I've been bunkered down, uh, live blogging, yeah. half pipe for two days. I'm starting to talk like the natives, uh, <laughs> man. We've got Cody K joining us later as well uh, on the phone to talk about uh, changes to the Jeff Horn and Terence Crawford fight. Still no contracts there, but uh, it is edging ever closer. Harps, uh, look, we're going to get to the Winter Olympics in a moment. I've just got a couple of quick headlines to do first, if you don't mind. Go ahead, man. Uh, over in the NBA, LeBron James's Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, after this trade bonanza that took place last week, they're going well. Another big win over the o- Oklahoma City Thunder. That's four straight for the Cavs now. Um, NRL trial teams are in. Stars everywhere are being named to take to the park this weekend. Of course, all our teams are on the Fox Sports League section of the website including Melbourne Storm's full-strength lineup ahead of Friday night's World Club Challenge against Leeds. And in the Winter Olympics, Scotty James took out bronze in the halfpipe. Tony, do you think he will be happy, um, satisfied with that, given where he's come from heading into this event? Um, or is he shattered? He was very emotional. I've just watched his uh, interview surrounded by girlfriend and um, family on Channel 7 and he was in genuine tears there but he kind of looked in genuine tears of relief that that it was all all over and that the pressure of being flag bearer and and a gold medal hope um, was lifted off him. Look he he came in I would say as second or third favourite. Sean White was probably he was bookie favourite based on previous form but to me, White, it was about him standing up as someone we know who's been able to do it before and a, a legend of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, James, mm-hmm. look, I will say James had a great first run. He was second last to go in a final of 12. Um, he went briefly to the to the top of the scoreboard, so he led this event for one run. He scored a 92, but as soon as he finished that, uh, it included his um, trademark trick that no one else has done. Uh, doing in half-pipe snowboarding, a switch backside 1260, one that the one that uh, incited his little go at the judges before uh, the competition where he sort of doubted whether they could um, quite get the, the significance of that trip trick. He, yeah. he landed that, and he kind of looked a bit down about that, and then Sean White came out in the next run, did 94.25 to go number one, and Scotty never, never touched the top again. His next two runs... Uh, went badly for him. He, he he was going really well in the second, but it was pretty much a carbon copy of the first, but then put his hand down right at the end and was marked down for that for an 81.75. And then he seemed to be coming up with the same kind of run in the third. 
um, crashed 40.25. And at that stage, that confirmed him. He went into that run, uh, third final run, with a bronze secure and the potential to go for silver or gold. In crashing, he knew he immediately had a bronze. So, um, look, he he'll uh, he becomes the 14th uh, Winter Olympic medal for Australia. It's a great achievement. Um, it's his first medal. He's 23. Uh, you'd like to think that in four years' time, he's up there going for it again. Um, I, I don't know. We, we were speaking before this about whether a bronze really resonates <laughs> with the country. I mean, what do you feel? It, it, yeah, a sense of disappointment of someone... I guess coming from the outside, looking at, at the hype around him. I mean, it's it's a fantastic achievement, but contextually, when you look at the the medal tally, it, it, a bronze doesn't really move the needle much, does it? From a, a an overall sense, I think part of this is about how it's hyped in Australia. So we've yeah. had the whole, uh, you know, like at the Winter Olympics, it's kind of hard. We went in. Um, there's a statistical company called Grace Note who uh, look at every country's chances and do a medal table and they did this a week before the Olympics started and they gave us a potential four medals. We've never won more than three at an Olympics mm. and that but out of that four medals they had us listed as two golds, one being Scotty James and one being Britt Cox who came fifth in the, the women's moguls. If you look at that and then you look at the host broadcaster coverage of it and I'm not criticizing it, they've got to get people interested they built that very much as a, a Sean White, um, Scotty James showdown and had him as a, a favourite for gold. So that kind of puts pressure on, on, on there and then also does it dampen down expectation. The I Japanese... think we're still being punished um, uh, for the good fortune in, in what Stephen Bradbury managed to do all those years <laughs> ago as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Sean White, he took it out, the American. Uh, he is the GOAT when it comes to snowboarding, right? Uh, undisputed greatest ever? Yeah, absolutely. In terms of competition and half-pipe riding, I mean, a lot of snowboarders will look at freestyle legends like Travis Rice and guys like that, and, and they'll have their own opinion on that. But in terms of this, there's no doubt at all. That's a third gold. He missed he missed out in Sochi on the medals altogether and came fourth. And there's uh, a couple of redemption stories at play here. One is that coming back after winning two golds and then missing out and wanting mm. to wanting to restore that gold medal, um, you know, to, uh, add another one to his collection. But bigger as well is that in October this year, you know, roughly 60 days ago, Sean White training in New Zealand went up to do a double cork 1440 in a training run, um, came down and landed face first on the oh. lip of the pipe. And these are really, really... That's a really brutal, gory um, injury. There, there's um, you know, a story on, on foxsports.com.au um, this afternoon that shows those uh, that the images he put up on his social media post then of the, the face that he... He said it was the most jarring visual injury he's ever had because you can break an arm, you can break a leg, mm. and you're still you, but he looked in the mirror and, and he says he did not recognise himself. Um, and then he's the just, plastic sur surgeons did very good because it was unnoticeable today when, you know, up, as he collected up on the podium, his little... Uh, a mascot. Yep. Mascot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, look, he, he, he also said this week that he still has stitches in his mouth, in his tongue, wow. and that his tongue is still numb from this. So that's three months ago. Um, so what, uh, and also what he said was that he had to go out there today and do the same trick in competition, knowing that it can happen at any time. And so mm. that's... Like it, we've spoken about it, I think, earlier about the um, awe of these Winter Olympians. You look at the downhill skiing yesterday with one of the competitors, and they're doing 118 kilometres an hour down 
down a mountain course, straight through a fence, you know, yeah. and, you, and you look at it in fast motion, you look at it in slow motion, anyway, you look at it, it's scary stuff. And every one of these sports, uh, yeah. except for maybe curling, <laughs> is dangerous and they can really, really hurt themselves. And he did. He smashed himself up. He he smashed himself up and bled all over the pipe. And to come back, do that, stand up, he... So he had a 94.25. In the round before him, Ayumu Hirano, who um, had recent, uh, recently won the X Games with a 99, came out and, and nailed in his second run a 95.25. So White was in second with one run to go, a 97.75. Absolutely flawless. Yeah, um, yeah it, it just a good build-up. Yeah, and, and just makes you look at sport again and those guys, you know, the Federers or... Whoever in sport who are the, that greatest of all time as you portrayed it, and you go, that's why people refer to them as that. That is why we watch sport. You know, these guys who can stand up, moment of the highest pressure with everything that's gone before and just shut it aside and touch perfection. As sports journalists, we really lucked in as well. You know, at lunchtime on a <laughs> on a Wednesday, everyone in the office was glued to their TV screens. I There'll be know. more, Phil. There's more. Yeah, Tomorrow, yeah. it's the return of Chumpy. And Chumpy is a bit mm. of a legend in Australia. And I think part of that is to do with his name, Chumpy. It's not your, <laughs> not your average game, but he's... He's um, marketable. He man. is marketable. Yeah. He's, a, he's a very good looking... He's more handsome than you, Phil. Oh, and he man. plays guitar. I don't know if you do, but he plays guitar Poorly. nicely and smooth. Yeah. Look... Yeah. Can you know, he play the trumpet, though? Uh, I don't know, but I think Channel 7, if he can, they'll be wheeling that one out. They've had him playing a bit of, yeah. um, you know, Jack Johnson-style uh, strumming of his guitar and pic- yeah. slow pictures of him running David Hasselhoff-style along the beach. Um, well, that's the thing about the Winter Olympics, too, is you, you, there aren't really too many stories of athletes coming from... Uh, from nothing, you know, from uh, from from poor parts of the country, they're all part of these uh, straight out of these rich families that can afford to. I think that's the- a bit of a myth. I, I, <laughs> it, it, uh, I mean, my favourite story so far: Matt Graham, who won the silver for Australia in moguls, and I just put um, he he is from Gosford and lives near the ocean, and as a kid wanted to be at the Olympics, but as a sailor, he went skiing as an eight-year-old and just fell in love with it. And he, he would drive, uh, he was in the Perisher Winter Sports Program, he would drive seven hours each way or every weekend during winter. So three wow. months of winter, Friday after school, arrived down in uh, the snow at probably 10 p.m., Sunday night, 5 p.m., driving home to Gosford. And he did that for years and years and years. And that's, to me, that's a parental sacrifice. And a, yeah, yeah. And, and it also shows the motivation of the kids to get to get through it is expensive sport out there though, oh sure. for sure uh harley windsor as well our first indigenous athlete to take part in the winter olympics just before we came down to record this uh we watched his run um look i thought it was an excellent run uh the, but it seemed from the a bit of the commentary that uh that it wasn't an outstanding score it well look it seemed without major flaw so he's he um teamed up with a Katarina Alexstrovskaya i i'm not sure if i nailed that one actually <laughs> Phil. i think i'd probably be marked down in uh, in <laughs> linguistics by the judges there hand picked uh, from russia a couple of years ago yeah when they met she mm. didn't even speak english apparently so yeah. I, it's kind of um a, a, an interesting story but yeah he's our first ever indigenous winter olympian um, look, I'm no raging um, skating expert, but they, they put together a fairly um, 
you, you know, neat and flawless routine. I think the issue there is the le- the degree of difficulty that they're getting judged on. And they're the wor- junior world champions, um, mm. but we wouldn't be expecting um, them to, to shine greatly at this stage on that okay. world stage against some, you know, really... Really hot, hot pairs out there. Yeah, right. Well, uh, definitely uh, good on Harley Windsor for getting out there uh, anyway. And good on you, Tony, for joining us today and, uh, and offering some excellent insight. I'm, and I've really enjoyed the, the Winter Olympics so far. I get right into it. It's, it's good fun. I love it as well. And I yeah. think and the Snowball Cross, uh, as I mentioned last time, I was uh, lucky enough to be invited onto the splash. Um, the snowboard across that comes up around 1 p.m. tomorrow. We'll be live blogging that. That's the best event. Get into that. Um, there'll be heaps of crashes. There'll be a bit of chumpy, um, glowing, good looks. There'll be a few. He's got three other teammates in that event who can go extremely well as well. And then later in the games, uh, Lydia Lassila, Danielle Scott, and David Morris. They we still have gold hopes out there, Phil, for the those of uh, those mm. of you out there in the yep. audience who who live and die by the gold. <laughs> Yeah, thank you uh, very much for joining us uh, today, Tony. And uh, for those listening out there, of course, that cannot, uh, that don't have a TV on their uh, their work desk, uh, jump on your phone, uh, get to the Fox Sports website or via the app uh, and follow our live coverage as Tony Harper is live blogging for and, the Snowboard Cross And you can tomorrow. do both. You can do both because I've got updated results, running results, um, good pictures and quotes as well. So the TV commentators, in my opinion, do a pretty decent job, but you need both. Second screen experience, Phil. Perfect. Thanks, Tony. Adam Peacock is in the building. He's going to be doing a full W League preview. The big grand final is this weekend. He's going to be previewing that on the Fox Football Podcast. So make sure you jump over to that on your uh, podcast provider, Spotify, iTunes, all the rest of it. But I am joined on the line by Fox Sports News 500 reporter Cody Kay, here to talk some boxing. How are you, Codes? G'day, mate. Always a pleasure to talk to you. It is indeed. Last time you were on the the Splash podcast, we had a bit of a bumper uh, combat sports edition. Um, We did mention that uh, Jeff Horn and Terence Crawford had been penciled in for April 14 over in the States um, to try and unify those belts. Um, but now it looks like there's a there's a slight change of plan rather than um, Madison Square Garden, which, of course, I'm sure is every boxer's dream venue. Uh, it looks like the fight might be um, moving over to the desert in Nevada. Yeah, that's right. So, mate, I actually, I literally just before you rang, got off the phone with um, Jeff Horn's trainer, Glenn Rushton. Um, of course, Jeff looking to defend, make the second defence of the WBO welterweight grand he won from Manny Pacquiao. Um, look, as you mentioned, Madison Square Garden, um, it's a unique, iconic boxing venue, and it's been home to some phenomenal fights over the last few decades. But yeah. look, Las Vegas as well has this wonderful mystique. I mean, there have been... Um, Ali's fought there. Everyone's fought in Vegas. Um, they're looking at the Mandalay Bay, which, of course, is, again, one of the more iconic venues in Vegas. It's where Manny's fought a lot of times, and there is a very good chance that Manny will fight on this card, whether he headlines it um, or appears on the undercard. A bit of a weird situation at the moment to ever imagine Manny Pacquiao appearing yeah. on an undercard, but it's also hard to imagine Jeff Horn appearing on Manny Pacquiao's undercard so he <laughs> just beat him. Um, but, look, the, the really good news, for Jeff is that if they do do the fight in Las Vegas, it looks like that's where it'll happen. It's less travel time for Jeff, about five hours less, less travel time. There are yeah. less time zones. 
and it also won't be as cold as it will be in New York. So in terms of acclimatising, um, he doesn't have to worry about that so much. So they're actually, Jeff Horn's camp is actually really excited about the possibility of it being moved to Las Vegas. And um, as you mentioned, just like last time we spoke, the contracts haven't been signed just yet, but for all intents and purposes, mm. um, they will be. They're just ironing out some of the last details. But yeah, Las Vegas looks like it's now the new venue. And that's probably a better time zone for us uh, wanting to tune into the fight back here uh, in Australia as well. Yeah, don't ask me exactly what it is, but I think you are right. Yeah, yeah, it'll be sort of so sometime around lunchtime as opposed to here, in the morning, potentially. In, yeah, I mean, so yeah. in Sydney, you're probably looking at the fight being on about 1 or 2 o'clock um, on the Sunday afternoon. For us. Yeah. So it's... If for those that want to start early and have a couple of teams, one or two o'clock isn't the worst kickoff time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, you mentioned uh, Manny Pacquiao potentially appearing on the same card, taking on American uh, Mike Alvarado in a sort of a comeback fight. How does um, the sort of the negotiations happen to the point where we could see these two huge fights on the one card? It's something sort of that you're more used to seeing in the UFC than uh, as opposed to boxing. Is boxing trying to react to the success of the UFC by um, putting this all together? And and can you offer some insight uh, as to how these kind of negotiations take place between camps behind closed doors? Well, look, one of the big tricky things is that, of course, it's not the UFC where they're all under the one banner, where it's a lot easier yeah. to get guys say, look, you're fighting here, bang, you do it, you're under a contract, you fight wherever you're told to fight. Yeah, exactly. In boxing, it's very different. Look, back in, I mean, one of the things that in these fights, there's always an A and a B side, usually. So the A side pretty much gets what they want, and the B side, really, if they want the fight, they have to suck it up and basically agree to whatever terms and conditions they are. This, as you mentioned, is a different, is a bit of a different story. At the end of the day, though, um, it's prize fighting, and you've only got to look at the pay-per-view numbers. Yes, um, Jeff Horn beating Manny Pacquiao turned him into an overnight superstar, but Manny Pacquiao is still Manny Pacquiao. Yeah. Manny Pacquiao still is going to be the king when it comes to pay-per-view numbers, um, and money talks louder than anything else. So um, the other thing is, look, Jeff Horn's not an arrogant guy. Uh, I think he understands the game. He understands that um, despite that win, he's not the superstar yet that Manny Pacquiao is. I mean, look, Manny's won um, divisions in, sorry, world titles in eight different um, divisions. Nobody else has ever done that before. So mm-hmm. um, despite the fact that Manny's in declining years, he is still going to be the A-side. Then you've also got to worry about um, for Jeff uh, fighting Terence Crawford. I mean, who's the A-side in that? Terence Crawford's the guy that most people are talking about now is the next pound-for-pound king in boxing. A lot of people believe he is right now the next pound-for-pound king, and that includes guys like Vassal Lomachenko so, uh, and also Anthony Joshua. So there are a lot of egos to deal with, I think. And, and, that, and that's despite the fact that Jeff's the one that's got the belt making the defence. I, I think, though, the reality is um, how they work that out. But f- from the conversations I've had with Jeff Horn's camp, they're going to be they're prepared to make a number of concessions just to get the fight across the line. Mm. So um, a lot of times you'll see things like who walks out first. That can become a sticking point, and it gets really it gets. I mean, that's where the mind games really start in the contract negotiations. So I think um, the Horn camp will certainly deal with it in goodwill. I don't think they'll really be all that fussed if they have to fight on Manny's undercard. There are worse things. Um, but look, all those details at the moment are still being ironed out. So um, as to as to who ends up fighting where on the card, I don't really know, except you would expect that um, I think Manny probably headlines it. A weird one to fight a guy like Mike Alvarado, um, who retired after 
the, the, the loss in his, the, the third and final loss in the trilogy of the Brandon Rios fights, where he was just in three back-to-back-to-back wars, and then you go and um, Provodnikov and another, a couple of other big wars he had. Mike Alvarado's a shot fighter, and Manny knows that. So it's a weird one for Manny to come back and have that fight. I understand he probably wants an easier fight after um, Jeff mm. Horn, but um, Manny's getting to a point now, like he's running out of years. He's running out of time that he can fight. Does he want to waste it on a guy like Mark Alvarado who's finished? Yeah. I don't know. It's a weird choice. I'd rather see him fight Lomachenko, who would be coming up in a couple, a couple of weight divisions to take that fight. But the other side of that coin is that Manny's never been a real welterweight. So mm. there may not be as many kilos between them as you suggest. It's a card the that weight classes would suggest rather. Yeah, it's a card that sort of goes further to legitimising Jeff Horn, I suppose, as well. Having Pacquiao and um, you know attention firmly set there, of course, until potentially he gets his pants pulled down by uh, Terence Crawford. Yeah, look, it's a, it, it is, and if and there is no doubt for mine, um, Terence Crawford right now. Uh, I've watched him clean out the divisions as he's come up, the, the lightweight division and the super lightweight division, and Terence Crawford is every single bit the real deal. So is Jeff, though. I mean, neither of these guys know how to lose. They've never been beaten. Um, mm. Yeah, I think being realistic about it, Terence Crawford is a better boxer. Um, the big question for me is how does he handle coming up in weight because Jeff's probably the biggest welterweight on the planet. Um, if Jeff can make weight without having to destroy himself to do it and he can get in there feeling pretty fit... Um, Terence Crawford's in a bit of trouble because Jeff can fight and he, he messes guys up in there. He brawls, there's elbows, there's heads. They're not intentional, but um, he's just a fighter. He's a street fighter in a lot of ways and he's got a lot of hunger. So Very interesting analysis um, there from Cody K. Uh, mate, thank you very much for joining the Splash uh, and uh, I bet you're pumped ahead of the, the NRL season. It's just around the corner. I am, mate. Um, the, the mighty, mighty manly seagulls are going to go and win the competition. So with this young Lachlan Croker that nobody's heard about. Mate, I actually can't wait, to be honest. So um, I love the cricket. Um, and by the end of every NRL season, I'm kind of ready for a break. But um, by about this time, I'm itching for it to come back. So it'll be good to be a rookie and have a tin and enjoy round one. <laughs> yeah, well, give us a buzz and I'll meet you down there. <laughs> Thanks very much, mate. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me on the splash, buddy. Cody K, thank you very much. And uh, that'll do us on today's Splash. Hope you enjoyed uh, that edition. Well done to Scotty James. Uh, and thank you to our, ho- our guests on the Splash, Cody Kay, of course, and uh, Tony Harper. Uh, that'll do us. Uh, thank you to all our listeners and subscribers out there. Uh, continue the conversation on Twitter at Phil underscore Pryor. That'll do us. That's a wrap.